What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, how are we doing after a, uh, a Sunday morning from hell, we'll call it? <laughs> I really appreciate you starting off and just being like, he didn't drink. Because you really could have painted me as a bad person, Connor, but you chose to not do that. No, dude, like I said, I woke up and I texted you like, hey, dude, I've been up for an hour and I'm just not, haven't exited the bathroom. <laughs> I took it into that, but I was like, you don't want me giving sports takes on like an upset tummy. So I, I appreciate you. Pod sounded great, man. You were, you know... Driving solo, so I appreciate you holding down the fort. And hey, it's only two days, and I'm I'm right back at it. Food poisoning is the diagnosis, correct? Yes, that's what. So it had to be, man. So it had to be. Had some late night food with uh, with the boys, and woke up feeling bad. But again, like I said, nothing, you know, nothing unscrupulous. Just uh, just too much, too much chunk life. I think, man. We're not gonna throw any any uh, restaurants in Atlanta under the bus. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna avoid it. Mm-hmm. If it's really bad and it happens again, then I think that's when you got to call them out. Food poisoning once, all right, you know what? It happens to the best of us. Food poisoning twice, somebody's doing something wrong and they deserve to be put on blast. That's that's exactly. the I subscribe to. We have such a loaded pod that we're not doing a single ad today. By the time that people are listening to this, you'll know the playoff rankings, but we're recording this early on Tuesday, Thanksgiving travel plans. So we're trying to get this done a little bit early. We know we have early football this week as well. So hopefully everybody's able to kind of listen to this, maybe if you're going somewhere on Wednesday, but I'll just assume that everybody's gonna be upset with the playoff rankings. So nothing's really Listen, changing. Georgia will now be third behind Alabama and Ohio State and Cincinnati will still be fifth. Call it right now. They'll find a way. We're, we're assuming that they have found a way to do that. We've got a full rivalry week preview. We've got Bold and Brash rivalry week edition and our guy Bear Felica gonna join us in a little bit here, but first, I wanted to dig into a little bit more on the Dan Mullen firing at Florida. Of course, of course, that happened uh, roughly about an hour and a half after I had finished recording the other day. And some people were like, oh, you should have just waited. You should have you know, totally done that later in the day, whatever. We try and get the Sunday pod up relatively early, like early afternoon, late morning, just because that's when, if we can get you know people that want to listen to that stuff right afterwards on Sunday, realizing that most people listen to it for the first time Monday morning, driving to work or something, but a little peel behind the onion there. And I've done it before, we waited until later in the day, and it never seems to make a difference. I promise you, if we had recorded late in the day, they would have fired Dan Mullen at eight o'clock that night. It just wouldn't Oh happen. yeah, and we recorded it on, what is it, the day um, that Coach O got, or, we thought Coach O was going to get fired. And like literally you said in the podcast, like by the time you listen to this, Coach O is not going to have a job. And he stayed for an entire extra week. Exactly. So you know what? We can't always predict these things, even if they do seem obvious. I kind of just put it into motion by recording a podcast anyway. So anybody that was hoping that they weren't going to make that move a week later, you're welcome. I feel partially responsible for that. And you call Stan Mullen his job, Connor. Congratulations. Sure. It definitely wasn't the 2-9 and nine record in his last 11 Power 5 games. It was totally that. You're exactly right, Will. The question that everyone is now asking is, Florida or LSU, what's the better job? And I get it. I totally get it. I usually hate questions like that because I think it's subjective in so many different cases. Like certain coaches are better fits at lesser prestige jobs than others and vice versa. 
but it's relevant this time because their list of candidates look really similar. Think about it. Lane Kiffin, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, Dave Aranda, Mark Stoops. Those are five names that I feel like we're hearing for both of these jobs. And maybe that list will be narrowed down by the time that people are listening to this. I know our friend Glenn Gilbo had a list of three that it was whittled down to. But if you're one of those coaches who had both teams calling, what would you do? I think it kind of depends. I could be sold on a lot of different things. Like, yeah, Florida has the better in-state recruiting, but Louisiana has such a nice stranglehold over the state with really good talent as well. And Florida is, for whatever reason, not in bed with the IMG Academies and the St. Thomas Aquinas of the world. That was a great point that Matt Hayes brought up when writing about it for Saturday Down South in his first in 10 column this week. Both programs have three national titles in the last 25 years, and they did so with different coaches with different backgrounds. If you're taking this job, you're saying, I believe I have the formula to win a national championship there. Not just go nine and three. Yeah, that's that should be the, the floor, the goal for all these programs. But you're saying when it hits right, I think I have the formula to win a national championship. You could not convince me that in the year 2021, USC or Miami have a higher ceiling than LSU or Florida. USC looks like it can't pay people to come to those games. And Miami fans, they're bragging about spending 20 to $30 million more on football, while LSU has had this state-of-the-art facility since 2019, and Florida's $85 million football facility is gonna be done next year. So I don't wanna hear those arguments, all right? It is fascinating to think about what the market will tell us about LSU versus Florida. Maybe someone will turn down LSU and take the Florida job, or maybe someone will turn down the Florida job and take the LSU. Both of these programs didn't get their top choice in the last coaching search. When was the last time that either of them, for as great of jobs as they are, and they are, but when was the last time that either truly made a splashy hire? Think about this. Ed O'Dron, not splashy. Mm-hmm. Dan Mullen, not splashy. Jim McElwain, definitely not splashy. Will Muschamp, uh, probably still not splashy, although the narrative with him was a little bit different then as kind of this up-and-coming Saban disciple. Yeah, None- he might actually be the guy, honestly. Like, if, if we roll back the clock and don't know what we know now, yeah. he was seen as a pretty splashy hire at the time. Because, yeah, even like a Saban at LSU, I don't think that was the level that Muschamp was at the time. Exactly. And if you're getting the Florida job, having not been a head coach previously, chances are you're pretty well respected in this industry, right? Like that's that's something we would say. It'd be like, all right, was Kirby Smart a splashy hire at Georgia? Interesting to hear that his wife came out this week and said they're, they're actually really close to taking the South Carolina job as well mm-hmm. and replacing Spurrier. So it's kind of interesting to look back and what we consider now to be splashy versus not splashy. Like splashy's Tom Herman, right? Like splashy yeah. is Ole Miss <laughs> going out and getting Lane Kiffin. Those to me are household names in college football, not the type of names that you're like, if you know college football, you know who these people are, but the average person walking down the street, who knows exactly who somebody is specifically. So- And credit him, Mike Leach too. Yes, Mike Leach, splashy hire as well. Good point, great, great point. Splashy's overrated. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, it's fun, it's great for content, the business that we're in, but in terms of actually winning football games these last five years have shown us it is overrated. Get a coach who understands the job and why the previous guy flamed out. Get someone who's respected by others in the industry. Get someone who has a proven track record as a recruiter and not just someone who wants to talk about it in December. Um, You know who you are. Hmm. 
Easier said than done to get all those things, to check all those boxes. If I'm Scott Woodward or Scott Strickland, I stick to my belief that it's better to be rejected by the big names than worrying about what they'll say or what happens when it's leaked that they got a call and then, oh, this coaching candidate feels like they're not the first choice, they're not the top priority. I won't care about that. Both of them are perfectly fine, at least that's what history indicates, with being in that role. Scott Strickland, he gets rejected, all right, whatever, I'll move on to the next one. Scott Woodward, same thing, probably like that more than any athletic director in this current era of college football. Back to the original question though. If I were Lane or Napier or Randa or Cristobal, I'd give a slight edge to LSU over Florida and here's why. Again, I'm not saying Florida's a bad job. The last three Florida coaches didn't get to year five. Urban burned out after year six. Your statue guy, Steve Spurrier, 12 seasons. Kind of got burnt out by it, burnt out by the college game, wanted, wanted something new, wanted to go to the NFL. And you could say, hey, why go to the place where you just watched a coach deliver arguably the best season ever and then get fired one and a half seasons later? That's what happened with LSU, of course. That's a perfectly fair point because yes, expectations are sky high, but LSU already has those facilities. And they already get those top seven classes on almost a yearly basis, kind of regardless of who the coach is. Both are excellent jobs and whoever takes them will have the ability to take this thing and, and run if they make the right decisions, if they make the right coordinator hires, if they're not too stubborn and set in their ways. Will, question for you as an LSU fan. Who's the top guy, or maybe the top two guys, where if you hopped off this call and saw Florida got this coach, where you'd be truly bummed. Well, they're not really talking to like Lincoln Riley or anybody. But let's just say I, a report came out of nowhere and hypothetically like something like that came up and you look down and you see blah, blah, blah to be Florida's next head coach. What's the one that would really make your heart sink as an LSU fan? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it would have to be one of like those guys like the, like the Riley or like, I mean, Jimbo, I guess is just not leaving A&M, so that's not even realistic. Honestly, it, it's, I hate to like be the realistic guy here, but it's like all the reports so far have kind of been towards Napier. That's a guy that's grown on me a lot. It, it's actually becoming more and more clear to me that it doesn't seem like Florida's gonna screw this higher up. So I'm getting a little bit nervous as it is. I'm kind of almost at that point where it seems like they're not going to strike out. And if they end up with Napier and they've wanted him for six months, that might be their guy. So like, I'm, I'm, I think the ceiling might not be there where there's not like, you know, they're not gonna get Urban Meyer back or something. But there's also not like they're going to end up with like a McElwain type cat that you're like, oh, we could run all over this guy, you know? T-Bob, I think, phrased it this way with Napier. And if Florida were to get him, like he's the guy that, um, like the guy who's in a relationship with a girl who, you know, he's, he's not really into, but then she starts dating somebody else. And all of a sudden the guy's like, hey, what's going on here? Like that's... Yeah. That's exactly like that's literally what happened with my parents. Ironically enough, some 40 years ago, this was this week was the 40 year anniversary that my my mom met my dad, and I go back to a, to a story like that. But it's true, and not to go all Colin Coward, but there's something about that, and I do kind of wonder if that expedites the desire for Scott Woodward to take Billy Napier seriously, because I've said over and over again. I don't think that Scott Woodward is making his big time hire, the one that he's been waiting for, to go down the road to Louisiana Lafayette and hire the head coach of the Raging Cajuns. 
out of context, you would look at that and say, oh yeah, LSU can do better than that. Then you realize kind of what he's done and what he's been able to build. And you realize the coaches that he's worked for are saving disciple, of course. And you'd say, you can do a whole lot worse than that. Just get the hire right. That's the most yeah. important thing. Don't worry about the splash. LSU ain't hurting to sell tickets. Florida ain't hurting to sell tickets. Get the hire right. You want to have somebody there for a decade, not just four or five years. So we'll see. A lot to be played out with both of those jobs. Think, think LSU makes a hire before Florida. So we'll have a lot of coverage on that. So real quick, you were talking about LSU versus Florida as a job. The last time both of these jobs were open around the same time, I was very like rose-colored glasses as far as a fan about this. I, I'm starting to think about it this way. Like, it seems like really <laughs> you're competing with either Alabama or Georgia, right? And like reasonable expectations are that you're not going to get to either of those programs, right? Like you're not going to show up and be, because I mean, that's the number one and two best recruiting program in the nation. I mean, Ohio State's right there, but we've talked about them. They're kind of doing their own thing up north, whatever. So like their, their results don't matter as, as a group. So these are the two teams that you're going to have to catch up to in Kirby. And, and you talked about Kirby, you know, him being a Georgia guy and all that. And that, that hire was so underrated in the way that he was able to, I, I hate to say turn the program around, but in the way that he was able to get the Saban-esque machine running in like year Very two unique. and just start running. Like, and, and that's not really what you're going to expect. You know, even with, you know, Coach O took over as an interim coach, struggled in his first year, was okay in his second year. Most of the, even those guys that have those roots, it, it takes a while to get going. So point being, you're coming in with a program that's number one or two in the country, and especially with recruiting, they already have these ties to Florida and, and the southeastern region, Georgia. And so I would say it like this. I mean, to me, like if you're taking the LSU job and you're, you're, betting, you're a, a head coach and you're thinking about yourself, Saban's the only guy that you're going to be willing to say is above you, right? I mean, if you're coming in and you're Billy Napier or, you know, if you're Dave Aranda, whoever that's coming to LSU, you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, I'm not scared of Jimbo. I'm not scared of Lane. Lane might, I don't know what he's doing. He might be trying to finesse the mess out of his agent but his job his name is up for every job and like if you think that Should he's be. leaving Ole Miss to go to Miami I, I got a bridge I can tell you but like, oh, anyway we so, banged that drum the other day as you know yeah, yeah. no 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 yeah exactly so like I, I point being like you don't know how Lane's how long Lane's gonna be there Mike Leach kind of an older guy as well and like I love Mike Leach obviously but there's not really another guy that you're like oh like this guy's running a dynasty type program we're supposed to be scared of in the west so the thought is if you're a young guy like Napier or Randall that can come in and I've been saying this since I was 14 Connor I understand how stupid it sounds but the goal is is going to be to just kind of wait saving out and be like all right if i can hang out here for like five six years get my eight nine ten win seasons kind of be right there in the doorstep sell that to recruits and then when alabama leave or when uh saving leaves then we can bust in that door it just seems like the kirby thing man it's just not going away i i don't know but he's built up enough clout that even if he had a couple of nine ten win seasons with the way the east is it it seems like that program is just going to be there forever. And so weirdly enough, that is kind of what I go back to in that as much as we talk about the West being this competitive conference, you know, we talked about Jimbo getting all this money and how cool Lane is. And we all love Lane, but it's like no one. Okay. The SEC West, we talked about this year, man, the second place team every week. It was a different team. Yeah. So oh, for sure. And you know what I'm saying? In the East, you know, Florida is always second place kind of by default. But, you know, you look at Hypo in Tennessee, there, you know, to me, there's not, I, I know that like, you know, Tennessee, people are laughing at this. I, I understand that. But at the same time, there hasn't been that track record of the West that you have to get through two teams. 
And, and so if you assume Alabama and Georgia are about equal and that Georgia probably, I mean, Saban's not coaching until he's 90. And I can see Kirby coaching on in there. I, I feel like, you know, if you take out the boosters, you take out all this other stuff, you know, the thing that kind of sucks when we saw that with Mullen is that you can win nine, 10 games. You can make three straight New Year's six bowls, which, you know, Coach O didn't do. He only made two. And then the, the you know, floor kind of fell out. And he was obviously much worse for the last two years than Mullen was. But fans have proven at Florida that they know the East is bad. Like, they're done settling for these 9-10 win teams that, because Mullen was the, the, we joked about it, being a hope merchant. Every year he would lose to Georgia, lose to another random team, beat 10 teams, and say, okay, boom, this is, you know, we're right there. We're a New Year's Six team. And they kind of got sick of it. They were like, you know what, dude? Uh, that's easy. The East is easy enough to do that in. So it seems like the expectations, as strange as it sounds, are like higher at Florida. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a perfectly fair point. And, and I don't know that there is the, the blueprint, so to speak. I, I laid out those things, those factors. If I'm an AD, though, that's what I'd be looking for. At the same time, I'll, I'll admit, the, the blueprint is kind of gone of you need to have this job before you get the big-time head coaching job. Mm -hmm. Ryan Day, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, Dabo Sweeney. Those guys took over big-time programs without previous head coaching experience. Oh, Sam Pittman, bro, the king. Yeah, Sam Pittman. Like, and Sam Pittman, Shane Beamer, kind of in that different category of mm -hmm. two guys who didn't even have the coordinator experience before they got Power 5 head coaching jobs. And so what does that look like for this cycle? I don't know. I don't know if, if, if Florida or LSU subscribe to that theory and say we're, we're going to just kind of throw that out the window because if that's the case at florida the name i keep bringing up is brian johnson do you take a chance on somebody like that who's so well respected was so well respected in that program knows how to recruit is a young guy could maybe provide something different that kirby smart is from a recruiting standpoint as well to try and get that state back I don't know. This could go all over the place, and it will, would not surprise me if we feel like we feel like we we think we have this higher figured out, and then it goes through a radical change just because of all the moving pieces around college football right now. Yep. Buyer beware. Be aware of all of these these agents who are talking about. Oh, maybe you know he's going to hold out hope for the USC job, or he's going to hold out hope for this job, or he hears this coach is leaving here. It's going to get nuts. Buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be crazy yep. in the next few weeks. Let's move on to actual football. Rivalry week is here. Two years in the making for, well, at least for four of these non-conference rivalries. There's a chance that by the time that we next speak, Will, every non-Vandy SEC team will be bowl eligible. Think about that. Oh, man. How about that depth? I mean, Florida and LSU winning is what it would take in order for that to happen. So we'll kind of wait and see about that. Two teams with either well, lame duck slash interim coaches having paid their coaches eight-figure buyouts. Uh, last two trying to get to a bowl game, uh, excluding Vandy in the SEC. We know where we're starting here. The Egg Bowl. Oh, yeah. Game I am most looking forward to this weekend. Mississippi State, one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The over-under I have... Nine and a half Hawaiian rolls consumed by your boy by the time that this game finishes. I think we're gonna the over. I've been saving, been saving my Hawaiian rolls, haven't dipped into the stash just yet. I'm mm -hmm. prepping, we're getting ready. It's, it's going to be at that level. First time that both of these teams are ranked and facing each other since Dak's last season at Mississippi State in 2015. Wow. If I had told either of these fan bases in the preseason that this is where they'd be in year two with their respective coaches in this game, I think they'd be really pumped. I do. Mm -hmm. 
Ole Miss is trying for its best regular season win total ever. Think about that. You've got a fringe Heisman candidate who's a legitimate first-round quarterback prospect in Matt Corral. He has taken that step that you hoped he would take and not had these grenade-type games that we talked about so much. The defense did improve pretty significantly. They flirted with mediocrity. They showed they could do that. <laughs> You're a win away Listen, from... Go ahead. If we love one thing as a podcast, it's flirting with mediocrity. If you could just get to average, buddy, and let your offense carry you, let's go. On my tombstone, it shall say, flirted with mediocrity very, very well. <laughs> you're a win away from a New Year's Six Bowl if you're Ole Miss. Kiffin's worst moment of the year was saying, get your popcorn ready before the Bama game. And he laughed it off two days later. If that's your low, you're doing a lot of things right. And I, I, I think that's truly the case for Ole Miss. They had such an ideal year two rise. And obviously, it would be even more ideal if they could beat Mississippi State, go on the road and do that, a team that's well-respected for all the quality wins that they've had. If they could do that, you win a New Year's Six Bowl, and you keep lane. Think about the off-season momentum that you would have. I know you're losing Matt Corral to the NFL, but at the same time, man, that would be a different sort of place than Ole Miss has been in in recent memory. To be determined kind of how all of those things play out. On the Mississippi State side, we say, yeah, we're just a team in the country. You never know what you're going to get week to week, quarter to quarter. But here's something kind of crazy. Will Rogers is on pace to put up better numbers than Gardner Minshew in that season at Washington State with Leach. But you didn't realize that person at home listening to this who loved the mustache mania and, and, and seeing Gardner Minshew become a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. That's how good of a year Will Rogers is having, especially in the last month. The offense, it's improved by 10 points per game. That's the year two leech bump. That, that's it right there. That's what we've been talking about. You beat four bowl eligible power five teams, including road wins at AM and at Auburn. Zach Arnett's stock continues to rise. Now, if you beat Ole Miss, you're eight and four, probably heading to Florida for a New Year's Day Bowl. Maybe not New Year's, not New Year's Six, but a New Year's Day Bowl. And suddenly you're exactly where you want to be. The winner of this game is going to feel real good. Really, really good. And dare I say, the loser of this game shouldn't exactly be hating life. As for the game itself, there are not five quarterbacks in the country playing the position better than Will Rogers in the last month. And that even includes Matt Corral. I think even Ole Miss fans would, would tell you that. This is going to test the Ole Miss defense in a unique way. Key for Ole Miss, Sam Williams, got to be able to get pressure on that three-man pass rush. Who knows if DJ Durkin's going to mix up some looks, if they're going to send Chance Campbell on some pressure as well and get him going, if they're going to if they're gonna try and, and get Jake Springer involved in this one as well in the pass rush. I would expect them to do some things like that because if he doesn't, Will Rogers can light them up. I really want to see kind of how that plays out because we talked about that a couple weeks ago with Auburn when Derek Mason finally decided, ah, drop eight's not really working. We need to start sending pressure. It worked. The problem was that it happened too late in that game. In Starkville, it's going to be really easy to get taken out of the game if you're the Ole Miss defense. If Rodgers is just getting kind of these chunks of yardage as he's been able to do so successfully in the last month or so. How DJ Durkin adjusts is the key to this game. I'm trying not to look too far into the Vandy showing because again, I think some of that was due to having a banged up quarterback with the short week coming up. But I, I do kind of think about this as well. All six of the Thanksgiving teams in the NFL 
lost this past Sunday. Isn't that weird? All the teams yeah. we're going to be playing on Thursday, including my Chicago Bears. But that's not really saying a whole lot. Tyler Huntley, man. I mean, obviously, you have to respect him, of course. <laughs> you know. um, but, but just kind of like one of those weird things I noticed. And maybe Ole Miss kind of fell victim to that as well. Weird two-week prep, and maybe that had something to do with it. Ole Miss's best road win of the year is that Tennessee game. And I thought Corral was putting the team on his back in that one, where kind of, if you if you look at it, in the defense played well in that game too, but I thought a lot of their offensive pieces really struggled in that. I think Mississippi State wins and covers. But how that happens, no idea. I'm sure we're gonna get some sort of crazy ending. This game begs for it. Maybe Kiffin throws the play sheet and it hits a player and it causes a 15-yard penalty. like. Anything is on the table with the Egg Bowl. Never rule anything out. I'd be surprised if we got another dog pee celebration. That's probably the only thing I'll rule out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say both of these teams have been advised to not do anything like that. In Mississippi State, I guess, why would you do that? You're kind of trolling yourself, but you're also trolling Ole Miss at the same time if you did that. <laughs> Listen, after the first, pee, the first dog pee celebration, they told you there would not be a second dog pee celebration. And lo and behold, what was there, Connor? Lightning struck twice, man. We got a second <laughs> one, and boy, did it change things in college football. Different times. I think Mississippi State wins this one 35-31. I think it's going to be an awesome game. Again, win or lose, both of these teams should be feeling really good about where they're at right now. Will, anything else you wanted to add to this game? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's kind of crazy about Ole Miss is, like, so we've talked about them kind of, like, struggling, playing, like, not their best game. I mean, really, it's just kind of the Auburn game, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, you know, like you said, struggled against Vandy, but that that's a little bit of a... At this point, if you're taking Vandy seriously, what are you doing? Like, I, like I'm not even being mean, but it's like, why would you take that game seriously? I got like, more, I, I got pro-Vandy things okay, coming up later. Okay, we're all pro-Vandy. Yes. Unless you're South Carolina, you can go ahead and go sleep for that game. Uh, but point being, like... Yeah, I mean, you know, they're uh, they're one and six in their last seven, or six and one in their last seven. I mean, so it's like, yeah, we kind of have this image of them like sputtering to the finish line. This is one of those games that, like you said, they might be looking ahead. I would take Ole Miss in this one, uh, just because I, I think that, like you said, they're sending off Matt Corral. I think that there have been lots of questions about Lane's offense, especially with Corral injured, and it feels like we've heard that Corral is injured thing for like eight straight weeks. And like again, like he's he's tough. He's playing through it. Like he's obviously hurt. I'm not saying you know that he's not, but I think. That nobody wants more to send him off in in you know elegance for believing in him than Lane because obviously we True. we heard the whole story with Corral you know almost going to Florida obviously he trusted you know in in Mississippi or I guess Ole Miss I mean and and that that would lead him to prominence and it seems like it's working out for him man um, so yeah I, I think this should be a nice little swan song for those two and hopefully they should go out with a bang. I think Corral would play in a New Year's Six Bowl um, based on his mindset and the way that he's kind of gone about this entire process. I'd be surprised if he was a bowl opt-out. Something to keep in yeah. mind, though, moving forward. Other uh, pre-Saturday game in the SEC, Black Friday game that should actually be pretty good here. Mizzou and Arkansas. Arkansas is a 14-and-a-half-point oh favorite. The over-under I have, 34-and-a-half Tyler Beatty touches. My 34 and a half, Will? Oh, it's never random. Never random. That's what Tyler Beatty averaged the last two weeks. Total of 69 touches last two games. Short week for him against a solid defense. 
still going to need a whole lot of Tyler Beatty to win this one because Connor Bazelak, God, his year has not been great. I love that he spells his name right. I don't love what he has done in year two in this offense. And I think Mizzou fans would agree with me on that one. Florida, 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 Florida actually handled Tyler Beatty in the first half of that game. But why Tyler Beatty has become so good is that he gets going late. I saw the stat during the game the other day. He's averaging nine yards per carry in the fourth quarter. That's pretty good. That's almost a, that's almost a first down every time you give that guy a carry in the fourth quarter. Some would say that is impressive. Elite. And you saw the burst he had on some of those runs, man. He just looks like he's shot out of a cannon. And he just hits the hole so hard. I, I think Beatty is 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 just brutal to tackle for for 60 minutes for some of these teams when you actually do get into a 60 minute game and it's not like oh mizzou's down 28 points because they couldn't stop a nosebleed on defense my question is does he finally run out of gas mm-hmm. it's a fair question he is number one in power five in scrimmage touches and scrimmage yards per game this year my hope is that we get Beatty and Traylon burks going back and forth in this one. Oh yeah my fear is that Traylon Burks isn't quite going to be right after getting, as Sam Pittman called it, banged up on Saturday. We saw the play with Will Anderson on the onside kick. He got depleted on that one. I mean, let's call it what it is. Again, I think nursing the shoulder injury might have had something to do with why he wasn't able to kind of, you know, brace for that. But take it for what it is. He was hurt before that coming into, mm-hmm. you know, throughout that game as well. I want Burks to at least be at 80%, which... I have no idea if he was even at 80% on Saturday when he torched Bama. What if he is not capable? In a perfect world, you'd say, hey, Arkansas, just run the ball against Mizzou. That's all you gotta do. Well, we have a lot of fun with the Mizzou run defense. We did, but I'm gonna blow you away with this. Mizzou's run- fifth to last? No, 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 no. This is a pro Mizzou. This is a positive Mizzou run defense stat. Okay. Mizzou's run defense in the month of November, just the month okay. of November, number 25 in FBS. Oh, let's go. Hey, Steve Wilkes, plenty of people were saying he was terrible at his job, Saving myself his job. among them. But here he is getting that next contract. That's what you got to do. Yep. That was with games against top 30 run offenses like Georgia and Florida. That's the yep. surprising thing. It wasn't like they were just facing like Mississippi State doesn't want to throw the ball or doesn't want to run the ball. That's the impressive thing about what Mizzou has been able to kind of turn around. I think this Maybe game, it was Maybe it was like a very extended rope-a-dope with the Mizzou defense, or they knew that Florida and Georgia was at the end of their schedule, so they were just like, we're going to be so bad for so long that they're not going to take us seriously. And then, boom, guess what? Steve Wilkes back, folks. We're going to be fresh for the end of the year. We don't want our guys going for tackles early in the season. We can't have them kind of wasting their energy against Boston College. Who cares about Boston College? Let's make Certainly sure we not tackle. Them. Yeah, they didn't care about them. Tackle against Florida and Georgia. Those are the moneymaker games. Steve Wilkes knew what he was doing the whole time. You're right. The rope yep. dope. <laughs> I think this game goes down to the wire. I really do. And even off a big emotional win for Mizzou, they should play loose. I think we'll see a lot of misdirection from Eli Drinkwitz. Trick play stuff from both sides, probably. Kendall Bryles going to empty the bag in this game. Arkansas finds a way to win, but it's close. 28-24. Hogs go 8-4. Finish the regular season in the playoff top 25. Got to get that win number 8 to get to a bowl game in Florida, I say. Will, how do you see this playing out? I mean, yeah, that's uh, wow. The Mizzou defense uh, stat is something. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know, man. You, you talk about an Arkansas team. I feel like they're in a very similar situation to Ole Miss as well. And I feel like Mizzou has kind of had their game of the year. And, and Mizzou, like, I love Mizzou being in the SEC because they'll always find a way to just shock somebody. Usually it's Florida, to be fair. Uh, but, yeah, like, I, I think Mizzou has already kind of had their Super Bowl. I think they obviously have a lot to play for. But at the same time, Arkansas, we talked about Mississippi State being the strangest team. And, and honestly, a lot of the strangest teams in FBS or in the SEC. Arkansas is certainly one of them. I think that they had this, you know, stellar game against Alabama. Uh, they did enough to win against LSU. But then you can see, you know, they still have the ghosts of some of these tough games that they just didn't look prepared. So for Pittman, you know, this year, you're about, like you said, where you end up in the bowl game, I think, kind of defines this year as tough as that is, simply because that Texas win is just completely free-falling off the map. Ah, who and cares? No, I, I know. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a big-time believer in beating a team at that moment and the way they're playing and the way they're... And I don't like doing the backwards thing that I just did there, so that's not even fair. But I'm just saying, like... They have had such a strong year that this is a game that you got to dig for and win because then, you know, like you said, you look back and you're in a good bowl game. You can say, look at this huge improvement in year two and not the story that we told ourselves last year, which is kind of the defense started to come apart. You know, they didn't, they kind of, they kind of like came loose at the end of the year. If they can tie a, a bow around this one, we're kind of at a point we call it trouble anyway, as much as I hate to say it, the bowl games don't really matter. And so if you finish your SEC schedule strong, you know what I'm saying? This is a huge recruiting pitch. I, I think that Arkansas is going to pull this one out. Bowl games matter for, for a team like Arkansas, too. For a yeah. team, yeah, yeah, for yeah, a yeah. fan base that hasn't seen it, seen it for five years. And all, all these players have got to hold up a, a bowl game trophy and kind of get that whole thing. I, I think that this, this type of stuff absolutely matters for them. Got to get the four Bs. Sam Pittman's been saying for a while, this is the last B remaining on that list. So I think Arkansas oh, yeah, is going to win. I'm not saying the bowl game itself doesn't matter. I'm just saying that, like, let's say they get matched up with some super hot team and just, you know, lose by 20 in their bowl game. Just just assuming. You could still look at the season and say this is a great season. You about that. that. That's all I'm saying. They don't need – if they win this game and they finish, you know, uh, they finish strong, it's like, okay, you know, whatever. Bowl game is bowl game. Whatever. For sure. A team that has a lot left to do this year to reach their goals, Georgia. Georgia is a 34-and-a-half point favorite on the road at Georgia Tech. Great over-under here for you. 0.5, Jordan Davis and George Pickens' offensive touches in this one. Oh, got to go over. Why would you ever take the under on that? I don't like you if you're taking the under on this one. <laughs> you're objectively a bad person if you don't want those two people to touch the ball in this game. You might be Dan Wolken if you're taking the under on this one. I'll there you that. go. That's the type of archetype. <laughs> We got the Jordan Davis rushing touchdown that we've been waiting for. It took you long enough, Kirby. I get it. He had to do it against an inferior opponent who couldn't hurt Jordan Davis, although I'm convinced that no other human being can legitimately hurt a man that big. Does mm -hmm. Kirby maybe do it again? Try and get some more shine on Davis? Because it's not about winning the Heisman at this point. That, I think that ship has probably sailed. He's not going to be able to, to make that argument to convince the masses that he's worthy of that. But... Trying to get him to New York, and I think that's still potentially on the table based on the way that these last two games go, and especially if like they pitch us, if they if they hold Bama to like seven points and Jordan Davis is just everywhere, do not rule out the possibility of him getting to New York. We need Jordan Davis in New York for a variety of reasons. Oh man, he's so fun, dude. That kid would enjoy that moment so much. He would have a smile ear to ear the entire time, and those photos would be iconic. I started thinking about this. Think of the people who've won the Heisman. Quarterbacks and running backs mostly, right? Yep. Picture Jordan Davis standing next to them. 
We had that photo that went viral of Jordan Davis next to Devontae Wyatt. Shout out to Sarah G1561 on Twitter. If you didn't look at that photo 10 times, you're lying. It was incredible. Will, which photo was more impressive, that one or the one of Jordan Davis being lifted by two teammates in the end zone? Oh, bro, the lift one, easy, because, you know, we talk about, you know, very pro-lifting podcast. The overhead press <laughs> is very hard to do. And if you, in the moment, are like, I got to pick up Jordan Davis, I'm like, I got to get some water. I'm, de- I'm cramping. I'm out of here. Back injuries are very common with the, the overhead press, the shoulder press. A lot of people can mm-hmm. mess that up, especially if you're lifting a man of Jordan Davis's size. Something else to watch for in this game. George Pickens potentially returning for this. The scene of the great. crime last year with Georgia Tech, or two years ago rather, uh, the fight that happened in the end zone that got him suspended for the first half of the SEC championship. Pickens dressed this past Saturday for the first time all year since he tore his ACL in the spring. Kirby said he's still got to pass a few tests and he's not clear when he'll return. What is clear though, is that Pickens is chomping at the bit to get back and any questions about him being kind of like, oh no, I just want to pack it in. I'm gonna sit out the season. I'm gonna head off to the NFL. I think that's out the window after seeing the way that he was out there running routes and doing mostly straightforward stuff uh, last week before the game against Charleston Southern. We'll see if he plays in this one. My gut says he will because first reps against Bama, that'd probably be tough to just go from zero to 100 like that. And Georgia Tech is a far inferior opponent. Either way though, Georgia's not losing this game. That much we know. Not to a Georgia Tech team who just lost 55 to nothing against Notre Dame last week. It's bad, it's really bad. No idea how Georgia Tech beat UNC by 23 a few weeks ago. Zero idea whatsoever of how that happened. I feel like there are not a lot of people talking about Jeff Collins' job security, probably because it's only year three, roster overhaul. We knew that it was gonna be a big transformation there. He was gonna get some time, but after he loses this game, he's gonna be nine and 25 in three seasons there. Man, imagine abandoning the flex bone and setting your football program backward. You knew you're gonna have to go back a little bit because it's so hard to change systems that drastically. And that's probably why there's a little bit of this resistance to do it. But at the same time, man, oh gosh. Cause you know, you, you don't wanna get linemen who wanna go play for, for that necessarily on the defensive side because of the way that you block in practice. Then you gotta recruit all of those guys to come in and you gotta find your right offensive personnel. You probably don't have a whole lot of receivers who wanted to play for you. And then you gotta get those guys. It's just, it's just not an easy thing to recruit for. So we, we try and give these, these coaches patience, but at the same time, man, I think a lot of Georgia Tech fans were saying, oh, yeah, get to a bowl game this year, not uh, three and nine, and get smoked by George in the regular season finale. But that feels inevitable. Georgia's going to clinch a playoff ticket when it wins this game. And I think they cover as well. I think they win this one like 45 to seven. And Georgia just steam, just just hang out in Atlanta. Just, Just wait for next week for the Bama game. Consecutive games in the city of Atlanta a place in which Georgia has uh, done pretty well for the most part outside of you know those games against Alabama. Let's talk about that Alabama team, Iron Bowl. Alabama's a 19 and a half point favorite against Auburn. The over under I have one and a half Cam Newton, TJ Finley comps from Gary. You know, you lost me and then found me again with that last word, Gary. He just can't help himself. 
Gary did it again this past Saturday with KJ Jefferson, and I cannot stand it. Every time he does it, I just roll my eyes. And I'm not one of these people that, that bashes Gary at every chance I get. I know a lot of people really, really hate him, and I try and give, give him the benefit of the doubt. But you know why he's doing it. To me, it's lazy. Why is that, Connor? Because he's a big black quarterback with a big arm. That's why. Absolutely, yes. It's lazy. I'm so sick of it. It's it's a lazy comp. I don't even like doing the Jamarcus Russell comps because it's like, yeah, these are thicker guys who have absolute cannons. Nobody ever compares them to Ben Roethlisberger. Nobody ever does that or anything. Say what you want about Jamarcus as like an NFL player, but the dude was number one overall pick. TJ Finley, all right, he's a project. He's out here just trying to eventually hold down a starting job in the SEC, all right? So maybe let's back off the Cam Newton comps every single time he shows off his arm strength. He's not there, and it's become one of my big pet peeves. I cannot stand it. Come up with a new comp. Go, sorry, there have been enough players in this league in which we, we could find a comp for TJ Finley or KJ Jefferson that isn't Cam Newton, all right? Jeremy Johnson. That's me. <laughs> Let's not do that either. Let's too far in the opposite direction, Will. We can find is a it, happy medium. Is it? Because here's the thing. the Cam, this, I'm, I'm right there with you with the Cam Newton uh, comparison is so disrespectful because, you know, we saw him play football again, you know, for the, for the first time to me in a long time being himself with the Panthers, and it's like, Wow. I mean, Cam Newton is one of the players that made me fall in love with football. Even watching him run over Patrick Peterson or whatever, that guy is such a special, unique talent that is so... Even at the time, he was ahead of his time because guys built like that and he spread weird offenses. We saw Gus Malzahn's offense without him. It was weird. And he was just able to go number one and it was just never a big deal. And so comparing any human in the history of humans to Cam Newton is very dumb. But yeah, anytime... You're absolutely right. That's something that's like not even talked about enough. It's like, stop comparing humans to Cam Newton. Let's period. stop. Doesn't, Let's stop. Just stop. Yeah, it, even if you're, you know what I'm saying? Even if you are like the next like like Heisman winning quarterback, you know, don't do that because no one is 6'5", Superman, strong, fat. Like there's just never going to be another Cam Newton. I don't know. We, we don't compare every single running back who breaks a tackle to Derrick Henry. So no. why is it? That's every- a great cop because there aren't those walking around either. So why do we do it with Cam Newton? It's just so mm-hmm. annoying. It's so frustrating. TJ Finley is still limited. I love the mobility that he showed against Georgia State. Bama's not Georgia State. Bama's got Will Anderson. He can single-handedly take over a game. He's done that so many times this year. I try not to get into the defensive numbers as much with like interceptions, tackles, sacks, uh, because some of it I I find myself being like, well, how many tackles did he miss? And I kind of want to see how he impacts a game in that sort of way. Sure, like there might be this ball hawking corner or something, but are they taking too many risks? Are they allowing a bunch of touchdowns? I got frustrated watching Kelvin Joseph a couple years ago because I felt like he, or I guess that was last year for Kentucky, because I felt like he took too many of those chances. And you're like, what's he really giving you? Is he a net positive? I I just would push back on that all the time. I let my eyes kind of dictate what I think a defensive player is really capable of. But Will Anderson's numbers are just silly. They're unbelievable. And I kind of put them on the back burner and I I went back and looked at some of this stuff. 79 tackles, which is insane for a guy playing Jack linebacker, which is lined up on the line of scrimmage, right? Not, he's not playing middle linebacker involved in every single play, no matter what, playing on the line of scrimmage there. 27 and a half tackles for loss in just 11 games. (laughs) The FBS single season record for tackles for loss, 32. He might break that by the time the Iron Bowl is over. I mean, he realistically could. Yeah. He also has 13 and a half sacks. No big deal. Whatever. He's got at least three games left 
maybe four if he can stay healthy, there is a decent chance that Will Anderson finishes the season with 100 tackles, an FBS TFL's record, and 20 sacks. That is all on the table for him. And it he's not just a, a stat stuffer or anything like that. We always say, where would the Bama defense be without Will Anderson? With his leadership, with what he does in the run game and in the passing game. We saw in the Florida game how tough that dude was to be out there nursing an injury, making an impact the way that he did. In the five games since that AM loss, Will Anderson, 40 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks. That is five games. That alone is like an All-America season. <laughs> Say that again. Hold on. In five games since the AM loss, 40 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks. So over. I mean, pace, like, you give, if you, I mean, if you pace that out over a 15-game season, which that's what it takes to win a national championship, that's just absurd. I mean, it, it is insane the way that he is impacting games. True sophomore doing this. I was about to say he has to come back. Like, he can't go to the NFL. Can't. He's like, who do you think is the greatest defensive player under Saban? Oh, man, that's a great question. Allen is probably the one. Allen, Mosley. Minka Fitzpatrick is kind of underrated in that department, mm -hmm. too, because he was like the perfect prototypical Saban DB in so many ways. I mean, the year, the individual year that Quinn and Williams had has to be up there. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Will Anderson's going to have a really good case by the time it's all said and done. There's oh, no yeah. doubt about it. I mean, just yeah. an unbelievable year. And Allen was a little bit, you know, I, I believe he came back, right? Like, he, I, I think he had four years under Saban, and that's, like, one of the things that makes Allen, like, a, a special dude. Um, but, like, I, I, looking at Anderson, what he's done in the limited amount of time, we talked about the hype coming into this year and the records he could, you know, Alabama's TFL records and sack records, as we talked about, are almost untouchable, and that's, that's no slight to him. Uh, it's just they had, they had a dude. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, like, he really could make that run, and especially thinking about his mentality right now. He's been, I mean... I think I think pretty concisely they're MVP this year. I, I think that they're the no games doubt. that they have needed him in. The games like even you look at the Mississippi State game where they need to make a statement. You look at the LSU game where they needed him like to win that game. I, it's it's crazy the impact he's had and being such a young player and and being so, I mean just dominant. It, it, it's it's crazy to think really. As so basically my my whole point of, of bringing those two things up with Finley with Will Anderson, I, I think it's a long day for TJ yeah. Finley. I really do. As tempting as it is to say that Auburn keeps it close, Tank Bigsby gets like 30 touches after how pissed he was not to be involved in some key <laughs> spots against South Carolina. Thanks a lot, Mike Bobo. I think Bama goes on the road and gets over that two-game road losing streak in the Iron Bowl. Again, we're you know splitting hairs a little bit here, but I think that they win at Jordan Hare for the first time since 2015. Tide win 42-14 to 14 in this one. Can we go on to the Sickos Bowl game? Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, always, bro. Florida's a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Florida State. The over-under I have, three mentions of how high stakes this game is. 
somewhat ironically, somewhat not. I mean, we're talking about a trip to like the Liberty Bowl or the Texas Bowl. You don't forget these types of things if you're Florida or Florida State, all right? This is, this is real deal stuff here. College football gods have a sick sense of humor for giving us this game with a pair of five win teams. And the crazy thing is that we should not really be at this point in a lot of different ways. Both these programs have gone in completely opposite directions to get here. Florida State has won five of six. Florida has lost four of the last five. On October 1st, Florida was three and one and ranked number 10 in the country. Florida State was searching for its first win. <laughs> That's nuts. That is how far opposite of the spectrum they were and how they have now got to this point where they're competing for the same exact thing. Florida State was searching for just any sort of offensive life. In the words of Michael Scott, how the turntables... <laughs> Let's be totally honest here. Nobody has any idea what to expect from Florida. They could come out and play totally loose now that we're no longer talking about Dan Mullen's future, or like their former coach, they could tell everyone after the game that the current season was already over and that this was the first game of the next season. They could do that too, we don't know. By Mullen's own words, Florida should actually be five and seven already if you take into account the Oklahoma loss from the There you go. Bowl. That's what people are forgetting is that if you count that loss into the next season, you got to count it as this season, buddy. Exactly. It doesn't just go away. Mullen never brought that up. I think Florida still gets officially to five and seven by virtue mm -hmm. of losing this game. I'm going back on what I said two weeks ago about winning this game. Maybe it'd be a little bit different if they still had Mullen, but I don't think Florida wins this game now. A week after Tyler Beatty got going in the second half, I think Florida struggles to slow down former Texas A&M back, Jay Sean Corbin, who's quietly having a pretty nice year for the Knowles. Remember, he transferred two years ago because Isaiah Spiller emerged as the guy in Jimbo's offense. If Florida wins this game, I'll kick myself because the interim coach is Greg Knox, why is that name familiar? Knox was the interim coach for Mississippi State in the Tax Slayer Bowl when Mullen left for Florida and Knox beat Lamar Jackson. So clearly a big game guy, all right? He's 1-0 all time. Can improve to 2-0 as an interim head coach, but this poor guy, man, he's got stuck coaching a full game for Dan Mullen again. He's like, oh, it's like the Murtaugh thing. It's like, come on, man. I think Florida too old for this. They, Florida wants season to be over. So that's, that's, that's what I'm going with. Um, let's, can we move on to Vandy and, and, and Tennessee? Let's do it. So Tennessee is a 31 and a half point favorite. The over under I have 24 minutes and 15 seconds that Tennessee possesses the football. Why do I ask that? It's never random. The Vols are mm -hmm. dead last in FBS in time of possession. And that right there, 24 minutes and 15 seconds, is their average. Nothing new there. That's the Josh Heupel, Jeff Lebby formula, right? No mm -hmm. Power 5 teams possess the ball on average less than Ole Miss and Tennessee. This past week, Vandy was a five-touchdown dog at Ole Miss. Vandy possessed the ball for 40 minutes of that football game. Hmm. Ole Miss didn't come close to covering. I mean... 20, 22 points away from covering in that one, I think. Um, Mike Wright converted on 12 third or fourth downs in that game. Tennessee, number 13 in the SEC and number 110 in FBS in third down defense. So what am I saying? I think Vandy can follow pretty similar blueprint to hanging around after Tennessee inevitably goes up 14 to nothing in this game. I know that's a scary thought, but I think Vandy actually covers in this game. I'm kind of encouraged by Clark Lee's team having watched them a little bit closer in recent weeks. They've covered three consecutive weeks and I think they make it four. Am I, am I nuts, Will? 
I mean, yeah, like, see, that's the thing, like we said, it's like, you, you kind of, if you're taking them seriously, you're kind of not doing yourself justice, but Tennessee, they're obviously in a situation where they need to, so, yeah, I don't know, I, this is one of those games that truly could go either way for me. Let's go on to Texas A&M, LSU, Texas A&M, six and a half point favorites, over-under I have is three minutes spent talking about Jimbo Fisher to LSU, it's going to be sitting right there, you know, you know it's coming, I don't think that happens. I, mm-hmm. I've been on record saying that Jimbo's in a much different situation at Texas A&M than he was at Florida State. We rarely praise coaches for how they talk about these things, but Jimbo is lapping the field with how to address coaching rumors. He just is. Yep. I think that ship has sailed, but hey, storylines are fun, so it's going to be talked about. Will, do you want to guess the actual over-under for this game? We talked about it a few weeks ago, and if it was going to be in the 40s, do you know the over-under for this? Oh, gosh. No, I don't. I'm stunned to say that it's 46 and a half. I don't really get how, considering how good both of these teams are defensively and how easily these quarterbacks can be overmatched at times. So why has LSU been so improved on defense with all these starters out? As we found out, uh, Lane actually told Ed Ogeron in the post game, he's like, you know you're playing the same base defense every single time, right? Then, don't you know it? Adjustments were made. They've gone to the 3-4. Shout out to David Randa. It's working. It's working really well for LSU. Crazy, right? Who would have expected that? We've seen the three down linemen look work against Zach Calzada in the Arkansas game and in the Ole Miss game. But I want to know if LSU's run defense is going to be able to handle, handle Spiller and A-Chain. In November, talk about these November stats and how that can be kind of telling teams figuring things out midseason. In November, LSU's defense allowed one rushing touchdown, 2.57 yards per carry, that's 10th in FBS, 88 rushing yards per game. And that's with games against Bama and Arkansas. I love Isaiah Spiller, and I think he's gonna be one of the top backs drafted this year. But throughout his career, his knock has been that he's kind of struggled against some of these elite defenses. We forget in the Bama game, 17 carries, 46 yards. Against Ole Miss, who played by far its best defensive game of the year, 15 carries, 41 yards. So then what is AM's path to victory if we think Calzada could struggle, we think Spiller could struggle? Devon Aching. Mm-hmm. I think this is the game in which he gets a career high in carries. Career high is 20. I think he breaks that in this game. I think he gets two chunk plays that make the difference. I'm taking AM to win, but not cover. 21 to 17 rock fight. Will, what would your level of celebration be if LSU won this game and punched a ticket to the Liberty Bowl? Well, it would be mixed feelings, Connor, because then I have to watch this team again. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, I think that you always want to go out for your coach or whatever. This LSU offense is totally lost. Our boy, Nussmeyer, decided to complain to get a start against Arkansas. Totally torpedoed the chances of winning that game. And has now been redshirted anyway. Well, a pseudo start. Like a, hey, you're not starting, but wink, wink, you're kind of starting. The way that works is so bizarre, man. And this is a whole other level to it. But anyway, so, yeah, it's all Max Johnson. They're going full Johnson. The backup is like a walk-on. So if he goes down, it's going to be like... 
Calzada versus some other dude. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I think I think that AM is going to win this one, especially given again like how their season could end, what the narratives are going to be. I I'm prepared very much as an LSU fan to lose this one. However, there is no coach in the well. Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops is the best country when best coach in the country whenever like his team is doubted. Coach O is probably second. Uh, so this is one of those games that if you're AM, you definitely don't want to see as a trap game. But I don't think they have, and I think that they see okay, boom, this could be another building year. We beat Alabama. We can't let lame duck Cocho stomp us on the way out of here. So, yeah, I, I do think also with this LSU defense, I think that Jimbo is smart enough to get the to get the water to kind of start to, for the dam to burst at the end of this game. So I, I do think they win this by, like, a couple of touchdowns and, mm. and, and really just, like, set it. Because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, their offense isn't very good, but you look at LSU's defense and the way that I, – I totally think your A-chain thing is spot on. I think that once that guy gets going, it's going to be over with for LSU, and I think that they've been pretty tough at, at guarding guys on, on, on the perimeter like that. And once he sees that's working, I think it's going to be over for LSU. Would be really tough for LSU to stomach a loss in this game to miss bowl eligibility – and Keishon Butte joining Eli Ricks in the transfer portal. We saw the the, the tweet from Keishon Butte made LSU fans kind of freak out. Yikes. By the way, I threw this out on Twitter. I think Eli Ricks should be the most popular transfer portal player ever. And we're talking about the brief four-year history of the transfer portal because yeah. he could start for any team in the country. Like, not every quarterback... Even Justin Fields would have been pursued by every team because if you have Trevor Lawrence or Tua or even even LSU with Joe Burrow after 2018 wasn't like we're going to ditch Joe Burrow and go with Justin Fields. So you have Jake Fromm. All right. That was mean of you. Georgia fans are not going to like that, Will. Oh, oh, life is so hard for Georgia fans. I apologize Careful. to Georgia fans All right. for, for the one joke so far at your expense this year. But Eli Ricks might be the best returning corner in college football. And oh, yeah. Assuming Sauce Gardner is off to the NFL at the end of the season, not scheme dependent. In other words, uh, get ready to watch him. He's going to play Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, one of those three teams. I'll, I'll, I'll bet all the chips on that happening. It's going to happen very soon. All right, Kentucky-Louisville. Louisville's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under, I have two Will Levis passing touchdowns. Seems pretty straightforward, right? I bring this up because if Will Levis does that, he'll pass the late Jared Lorenzen, hefty-lefty, and look up to only Tim Couch and Andre Woodson on Kentucky's single-season touchdown pass leaderboard. Levis has 23 touchdown passes with two games left, so he's one away from having more than any Kentucky quarterback since Woodson had 40 back in 2007. The game is different now. Turnovers have to be taken into account with Will Levis. Those suck, but still not that bad. Considering where Kentucky was at last year, at a position where you know Kentucky has had some really bad luck in the injury department the last couple seasons, Levis has started every game, and last year, Kentucky had the worst Power 5 passing game in the country, all right? This year, mm -hmm. they're number 69 in FBS, which is middle of the pack. Pretty significant transformation, considering the roster overhaul wasn't necessarily like top to bottom. I know they add Levis, they add Wandell, but this wasn't like, hey, we're gonna interchange every single skill player, we're gonna bring all these new offensive linemen in. Really wasn't necessarily that. I know they had, you know, I think, at least three transfer portal starters on offense, but still very impressive to see that. But Levis and Wandell are the two big guys there. Speaking of Wandell, he needs six catches in this game to set Kentucky's single season receptions record. Think he's gonna get it. That'd be my guess. He is already over a thousand on the year. He needs 245 to set the single season receiving yards record. Should have two games to do it. Interesting to hear him say that Louisville lacks in-state pride when it comes to recruiting. 
interesting, you know? Wandell, there's one thing that I, I learned about him and I, I appreciate is that he's not afraid to tell it like he sees it. He's a pretty transparent, self-aware person. A little bit of extra ammo for him on Saturday, maybe for, for Louisville as well to try and shut him down. But I like Wandell's chances in that. I think Kentucky wins this one on the road. Malik Cunningham, even though he's had a lot of success lately. Will, did you see the numbers that he put up against Duke? These are- Malik Cunningham? Mm. NCAA video game numbers here. Against Duke last week, 303 passing yards, five touchdown passes. And oh, by the way, he ran for 224 with two more rushing scores. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's something seven right there, man. Touchdowns, seven touchdowns, 527 total yards in this one, or in that one. I think this turns into a shootout, a game that Kentucky's offense last year, two years ago, not capable of winning. This year, I think they do, as long as they don't turn the football over three times, which we know they are susceptible to do. But I think Kentucky wins they, this one. They do be doing that. All right, let's close out with uh, Clemson and South Carolina. Over under I have is 34 Clemson points. That is the fewest points Clemson scored in this six game winning streak against South Carolina. This year, Clemson didn't hit 34 points in any FBS game this season until two weeks ago against UConn, hence why the over under is 34 Clemson points. 11 and a half points that Clemson's favored by. I don't know if I said that from the jump, I should have. The Tigers are coming off of easily their biggest win of the season, a 48 point outburst against Wake Forest, though Wake Forest defensively, uh, pretty poor. They're not very good. Mm -hmm. I bet Danny Cannell was not happy to see that Clemson's still not in the AP top 25, even after they beat a top 10 team. Oh gosh. Here's another team you absolutely do not have to feel sorry for. Yeah, you don't, come on, let's, let's be honest here. Crazy stat, South Carolina has a better passing offense than Clemson this year, as in, South Carolina, the team down to its third string quarterback who didn't start ahead of a grad assistant. That team, that team has a better passing offense than the five-star guy who's doing Dr. Pepper commercials. Yeah, it's been rough. It's been rough for DJ Uyangalale, which I have not had to say that name nearly as often as I thought I would when I probably I was about to say, it. you put in more work in the oh, offseason than he did, man. Goodness. You were so ready with that name and it just never came up. Georgia might have broken. Poor DJ. Will, guess how many passing touchdowns he has this year? Oh, gosh. I mean, in the ACC, it, you, they kind of hand those up for free out there. I'm going to say a bad year in the ACC is like 20. Nine. Oh! Oh, no! Guess his yards per attempt. Oh, gosh. I mean, if we're going with nine, I'm going to say like six. 6.1. Yep. yep. Oh, boy. He has not thrown for more than 220 yards against a Power 5 opponent all year. So does South Carolina's defense play with its hair on fire against Clemson? Yes and no. I think they come out maybe a little bit too aggressive. They overrun ball carriers, jumping off sides. A lot of juice in the building for that one at williams Bryce. I think they take some chances on deep passes. I don't think South Carolina gets trucked or anything like that, but I think Clemson makes a couple early plays to quiet what should be a fantastic crowd. And I don't think you want to be trailing against Brent Venable's defense, who is still number eight in the country, despite this being a down year for Clemson. But this group just held Wake Forest under 30 points, which is no small feat this year with the way that they can light it up. I worry a bit about some of those obvious throwing situations because Clemson's number six in the country in terms of yards per carry allowed. And I think Clemson is gonna play loose, expectations gone. I'll take the Tigers to win 27 to 17, so South Carolina covers. But man, think about if Shane Beamer wins this game. SEC Coach of the Year is his if he wins this. 
I truly think that. And two months ago, we had Lars Anderson on the show and he's saying, you know, he's, he's very close with Shane Beamer and he's like, you know, it's gonna be a few years before he can realistically compete with Clemson. This could be the closest game in this rivalry since 2015. Gamecocks have yet to win this game in the playoff era. I'm pumped for South Carolina fans because even if you lose this game, you're going bowling, you're about to sign a top 20 to 25 class, and you have a coach who looks like he's the right fit. Any other thoughts or are we good to go to Bear Felica here? No, retweet all that. You nailed that. Good for Shane Beamer. Wow, Clemson's worse than I thought. Britt Venables might be the real deal. This is this is gonna be a fun game, man. This is like you said, this is they're within striking distance right now. And South Carolina, strangely, even under Muschamp, did a great job in state recruiting. I don't know, man. Uh, well, hopefully this isn't a blip on the radar and then get something going in that state. Should be an awesome game. Really, really excited to see that. Let's go to my interview with Bear Felica. Great to catch up with him. He's a Miami grad, so we talked a little bit about that job potentially opening and then some gambling stuff as always. So here is Bear Felica. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is ESPN's Chris Bear Felica, who you see on your TV every single week on College Game Day. And Bear also co-hosts the Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast. Bear, I hate to be that guy to go back to an old prediction of yours. And I promise I'm not just doing it to be a jerk. But when we last talked, we spoke mostly about NCAA tournament bets, but the lone football thing that we did discuss was Georgia's options at receiver because we had just found out that George Pickens <laughs> had tore his ACL. And you mentioned like, hey, what a brutal break that was given the lack of depth around him. Here we are eight months later, and it looks like Pickens is soon going to return to the obvious number one team in the country who have been lifted by the likes of Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkey with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. So if I had to give you odds back in March when we, when we spoke, for that scenario playing out, what would they have been? Like 50 to one, 500 to one? Oh God, it's a 500 to one because I don't think anybody uh, thought that Stetson Bennett would be the guy uh, playing quarterback at this time. And I don't even know who the heck knew who Ladd McConkey even was. Uh, it, it really is amazing because uh, at the time too, people thought that Darnell McDonald was going to, or Darnell uh, Washington, Washington was going to be the, uh, the tight end. And Bowers has just emerged ever since being the, uh, the recipient of the first throw of the year by JT Daniels in that Clemson game, uh, Bowers is a is a different player, man. He's a uh, he's a special kid, and I, I think it just goes to show you that uh, how good that defense is. And Kirby Smart is is pretty confident in his uh, his ability to win games with with that type of personnel offense. And I'll be curious to see uh, what winds up happening over the next uh, couple of weeks in the in the SEC championship and the. Uh, the semifinal to see if Daniels does get more time and if uh, Pickens indeed is uh, game ready. It's a risk either way. It's a risk uh, not playing these guys if they are ready and healthy to go and they are a better option uh, and you lose. And it's a risk playing the. Uh, it's a risk if you don't play the guys or you do play them and you disrupt the the chemistry and the flow and the and everything you've had going over the course of the year. So it's a. Uh, it, it, it seems like it's one of those embarrassment or riches type decisions for Kirby Smart, but, but I think it's a tougher call than a lot of people would think. How have you bet Georgia this year? Because I think there's a micro way to do it and there's a macro way to do it. Like in a micro sense, I have a buddy, Ben Stevens, who just bets the Georgia opponent team total under every single week without fail. So have you done something like that? And then also on a macro sense, did those future odds on Georgia winning a national championship ever speak to you? Or were those always kind of just like, especially after Clemson, where you're just like, nah, that's really not enough value for me. 
No, I, I play. I played Georgia to win the title well before uh, that Clemson game earlier at the start of the year when they first got posted. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm 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 good there. And, and your buddy Ben is, is is on it because that's kind of what I've done all year long with Georgia playing team total under. And when they play these ranked matchups uh, with, with other teams, like playing the game total under, I mean, there's a good uh, list of uh, in his historical trend there. Uh, with, with Kirby, when they play these ranked games, that these these ranked opponents, that these games do go under uh, for, for the most part. So, yeah, the the, the Georgia opponent team total under uh, and, and big games under has certainly been the way to go. And yeah, I got I got I got Georgia to win the national title at, at a nice number and added a little bit more uh, after that Clemson game as well. So we're up, we're in a good spot with uh, with, with Georgia. The interesting thing was the. Uh, uh, the wager that I talked about on the podcast and on Daily Wager a couple of weeks back about playing the uh, the Alabama no to make the uh, no to make the playoff at uh, around plus one sixty is what it was at, uh, at at DraftKings and then you could hedge it with playing Alabama on the money line in the SEC championship game because if they were to win they're in and the thought was if they were to lose they're out I still believe that that's the case I do still believe that Alabama has to win the SEC with SEC championship to make it. But I, there are people that believe that think that they don't have to do that. They think simply a close, a close loss would be good enough and, and they will be the first two loss team ever in there. So uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks there. The odds makers are essentially telling us that three teams are capable of winning a national championship, Georgia minus 125, Ohio State plus 300, and then Bama at plus 400. Is there more value there or with a team like maybe Michigan, who at plus 5,000 is is all of a sudden going to be a lot more interesting if they can get over the Ohio State hurdle? Of course, that's the reason that that number's there. So is is that more interesting to you or would you rather take your chances on one of those three teams and maybe kind of hedge additionally with you know on top of what uh, you already have on the Georgia winning national championship? Yeah, I, I don't think Michigan can win the national championship. I don't think they're. They're in that class with the uh, with the other three, and, and certainly Alabama and Georgia. I, I think if you look at what they would have to do in the playoff, probably having to beat uh, potentially Alabama and Georgia, uh, that, that, that's a tough ask. I would probably wait on Ohio State as well uh, and, and see uh, that because you could be in a situation in the semifinal where if Alabama does win. Then you're looking at an Alabama Ohio State semifinal potentially, and then the, and then Ohio State if they do beat Georgia, having to play Alabama in the national title game. So uh, you're probably better off waiting and playing a money line parlay on uh, on those two games rather than just taking the plus three hundred or whatever it is uh, right now. My motto is friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. And that has played out in in, in just epic fashion this year. But people that want to bet the Heisman right now, what advice would you give them? Because the way that I kind of look at this, it feels like nobody is winning the award unless they win a conference championship game and then they look good doing it. So is that kind of the the, the trend that you would follow for for putting a wager on the Heisman right now? Yeah, you you missed, and I talked about this last week, like, Last week was the week to bet C.J. Stroud because of what he had coming up. And, of course, he did what we all assumed he was going to do on Saturday. And now he's, uh, I believe, a minus price uh, to, to win the award. But you, you missed that number. And I actually think the, the, the way to maybe 
can't kind of play this. Like if you if you have a Stroud ticket, maybe you take a little bit of a, a, a Michigan plus the points type of deal uh, versus Ohio State this week because it, uh, if Ohio State were to lose, uh, then Stroud not being in that game would hurt. Maybe now is the time to to get a number on Bryce Young because if we're, if Ohio State were to lose, uh, I think the Young number would be. Uh, in, in play, but then again, you're banking on them beating Georgia and going nuts in that game potentially to do that. So I, I think the Heisman market for me right now is kind of a dead market. Uh, I don't want to throw any more in there than what I, what I already did. I bet Trevion Henderson uh, before the year at like 60 to 1, 65 to 1. Wow. Um, and he certainly, and people were laughing at me. Oh, he's got no shot. Well, he, he does have a shot. He, he did have a shot. Uh, but, but but Stroud ultimately uh, is the guy who emerged from there. But uh, I, I never bought into the Matt Corral stuff. I never bought in uh, to, to the Kenneth Walker stuff. I played Stroud during the middle of the year, and I played Caleb, Caleb Williams once he took over for Texas, but obviously the last couple of weeks with the Baylor game. And last week in Iowa State, that, that price is gone. But, yeah, I was with you. Spencer Rattler was never a great bet to win yeah. the Heisman. JT Daniels was never going to win the Heisman. Like, yeah, it, it just, those, those are just not – Good bet. So we're sitting here with Stroud, and we feel uh, we feel pretty good about it. And we'll see what happens uh, this week and going into next week, and how we could potentially uh, leverage it and probably guarantee ourselves a profit. Okay, you might have already answered this question with that answer, but Will Anderson and Jordan Davis—they're both you can get hundred to one on your money right now, and the numbers that Will Anderson is putting up—I talked about it earlier in this podcast. It is stupid. I mean, like, he, he's very likely going to set the FBS record for tackles for loss. The guy is probably going to get to 100 tackles this year and could even do it before the Heisman voting is finalized. Is there value in either of those two guys at 101, or is that just kind of throwing money away at this point? I mean, it's, I'm never going to disparage anybody from uh, betting pizza money on a 100 to one shot. I mean, it, it certainly is. I just don't think. <laughs> I just don't think that they can get enough traction. I don't think people pay enough attention. I think they see uh, arcade-type numbers that quarterbacks put up. And you've got a situation, at least in the case of Alabama, where Bryce is going to get the majority of the votes. And whether that's right or wrong, I just don't think Anderson's going to be able to get enough votes, certainly amongst that region, that he's going to have to win and dominate uh, the voting in that region in order to win. So do I think those those guys are are, are worthy of being Heisman, <laughs> are, are worthy of being a Heisman finalist and in New York? Absolutely. Um, w- would I bet 20 bucks or whatever at 100 to 1? Sure. Uh, do, would I expect to win the bet, however? No. That's a good way to answer that. I think that's perfectly fair. I, I don't know if you partake in those futures when you get those those emails that get sent out of like, who will be the next coach at this school or early odds on blah, 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 anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask you a question about your alma mater, Miami, because there's been a lot of speculation in the last week that Manny Diaz, who in case we all forgot, still has a job, but there is speculation that he's going to be fired at season that season's end here with the change at athletic director, the announcement of the school is increasing spending on football. What a crazy concept that is. How do you want this situation as a Miami grad? How do you want this to play out? It, it, it's kind of tough because I like Manny, and I, I talked about it a little bit on Saturday on game day. Uh, he's kind of made 
the right decision in a, in a lot uh, in a lot of these either or uh, situations that have come up uh, after is when he got there he realized he didn't have players and he raided the portal and, and did a good job of, of bringing in yeah. uh, talent in the portal. Uh, his offense wasn't very good the first year. Made an immediate change and brought in Rhett Lashley. Uh, following year, his defense wasn't very good. Um, made made the, made the change and got more involved in the in in in, in the uh, in the defense this year. Some of the upperclassmen, some of the older players, after they lost all those close games, okay, we're going to start to play the younger guys, and, and that's work. The team is. Not quit on him. They played hard for him all year long. He's never lost a team, but you do just have to wonder how this now will play out with, with Blake James being gone, the AD, and uh, and how this ultimately will play out. But uh, it, it kind of stinks because I like Manny and I would love to see him do well there. But but I, I do think I kind of reading the tea leaves. I, I I do think there will be a change there. I wanted a different perspective on this compared to the one that I have because. You're someone who got to be a fan during those glory years that Miami had. So, so tell me this. You spent a little bit of time around Lane Kiffin a couple weeks ago when you guys were there in Oxford. What was your reaction as a Miami grad when you saw the report came out that Lane was apparently interested in that job? It certainly didn't surprise me. Uh, I think anybody who is familiar with Lane uh, knows his affinity for, for being in, in the state of Florida. He's still got a house down there. He's a guy who loves being around the water, being around the, uh, being out on, the, on a boat, uh, being around that, 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 that sunshine and glam uh, lifestyle. So it certainly didn't surprise me. And I, and I think uh, a lot of Miami grads would, uh, or Miami fans would, would welcome him. I, I think they see the offense that he's had at, at Ole Miss. I think they see the offense that he, uh, brought to Alabama, they see those things, and I think uh, seeing a, a young quarterback like Tyler Van Dyke, I think they see potential for 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 him to maybe take that next step next year uh, if it would be with Lane and Lane to do that. So I, I think Lane would be a very popular hire and someone that that that, that fans would embrace. It's so funny to to think that now, just just looking at Lane and thinking where he was from the USC days and the and the Raiders days, and, oh, what has he done to deserve of being a coach? But he, he's, a, he's a changed guy. Like, this is not, like, immature, trolling lane. Like, like he's, he's kind of, like, become, like, the, the SEC head coach voice of reason. Uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's amazing with, some of the, with, with how he's acted, some of the things he's uh, said in public. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think Lane is, some, is someone that Miami would strongly consider, obviously, in the – and, and Mario Cristobal would be be the other guy that they would potentially be interested in uh, bringing home if they indeed do decide to move on from May. Yeah, and that's the key caveat here, as we talked about. You know, they have not moved on yet from Manny Diaz, and timing is so important with these things. And it's interesting because. Technically, if you if you look back, Miami could have had Lane Kiffin right there. If we're talking about Lane going from FAU to Miami, this is over and done with, and this is a different right. situation. But the way that he has been able to change his reputation in three consecutive years now, I'd argue, where he is over, I'd say he's exceeded at least those preseason expectations. Is it kind of weird to look back on that time and know that you know basically? I guess that would have been after year two at FAU. Miami could have just had Lane sitting right there. I think that is probably the most interesting part of all of this. If you look at 
following it would have been the 2018 season when Manny was going to take the Temple job, and then yep. Mark Rick uh, abruptly decided to retire, and Blake James like didn't even conduct the search. It was like, oh, we need Manny. We need to bring him back. And I, I that was probably the the thing that might have been the biggest mistake in all of this was not fully conducting a search and just but before you like oh, we, we we okay well we're going to bring Manny back eventually we need to let him cut his teeth uh, at Temple for a year or two to, to 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 be a head coach and get some experience then we're going to bring him back I think that was probably ultimately the plan and then just to kind of buy, buy Temple out or whatever it would have been. Uh, and, and bring him back before he had, was, was actually coached the game at Temple. That was probably the biggest mistake uh, that that they made because that in turn added a whole lot of pressure, I think, uh, to Manny as well. Because I mean, there, there were guys who who wanted that Miami job, and uh, whether Butch Davis was a a viable candidate or not, that that uh, depends on who you talk to and listen to. Um, and, and surely there were other guys as well that w- would have clearly been in, in, in the mix there. But but I think the way that whole 2018 offseason took place uh, probably wasn't the best of situations for everyone involved. We love to do the thing this time of year where we compare all these jobs. And this year, it's, it's really going to reach a fever pitch because we have premier jobs open already. LSU, Florida, mm-hmm. USC, four if you want to include Washington, and then potentially five with Miami. How does Miami stack and, up and, and, with and, those and then depending on what And then depending on what happens uh, you're, and who fills those jobs, you're looking at potentially other marquee jobs opening up as yep. a chain reaction. Gosh, that's a crazy thought. And, and that's... That's the thing of like, oh, if James Franklin goes and takes the USC job, then all of a sudden we're talking about how great is the Penn State job. If Luke Fickle goes and then we're talking about, well, you know, Cincinnati doesn't stack up to those other jobs, but is Cincinnati like as good of a job as even a Virginia Tech? Because now Cincinnati's going to be going to the Big 12 and all these different things that are going to happen. So like as you look at Miami and you're trying to figure out where do we stack up? Is a Mario Cristobal, you know, maybe that's a bad example because he's a Miami grad, but is somebody like that going to look at the Miami situation and say, this is better than those four other jobs? Or do you think Miami is going to get leftovers and it's going to have to be like, wow, the market kind of dictated that this maybe isn't quite the premier job that others thought it was at one point? I don't think in the case of Mario, uh, specifically just because of him being a former player there and winning a national champion and being a a South Florida guy, I think he would view the Miami job uh, in a very positive light and, and probably in a better manner than he would some of those other jobs, but but I, I can uh, I, I can see some other people uh, look, looking at looking at the Miami job and being like, okay, they're kind of behind the times and in facilities. Uh, the stadium isn't on campus. Uh, like like you'd view that and say, okay, this is not a, a great situation. But and I think there would be people that say, hey, we're we're in the ACC Coastal. Like like we should be playing for an ACC title every single year. We're in South Florida. We're we're in the in, in the hottest recruiting bed in, in 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 the country, and we got players in our own backyard that we can just just recruit these guys and be okay. I think if I had to take my pick, if I were a head coach and just say this is the best job available, I'd probably say USC, just because it's in theory the easiest path to a college football playoff every year, uh, just because okay. you're in the Pac-12 South. And the conference is the weakest of all those. There are no heavyweights in the league. Uh, Southern California still is a very uh, good base for recruiting 
Um, and you can still kind of get kids from throughout the country as well if you needed to. I, I think I think USC would be the one that most people would probably be interested in. I know, I know the LSU fans are, are going nuts right now, but, but being that you're in the SEC West and outside of the, the one-off year that, that that Coach O had, I mean, now you're looking at a, a situation at LSU where they're kind of kind of starting over again. But, but, but look, I mean, they've had – I say that about being a one-off, but you've had, what, three different coaches win national titles there in the last 20 years. So I, I, it, it's a place where you can – you can easily win. So I'd probably go USC one and then LSU two in terms of me ranking those jobs. Yeah, that's that's the part I would push back on. It's like you bring up that stat about LSU and then, oh, by the way, at Miami, you have one division title since you joined the ACC. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, if we're going to talk about that path, then that's a, a fair thing to bring up. And if Miami is this great recruiting hotbed and if it can rope off I-4 and I live three miles from I-4. So I know, I know the area well. Like it's, <laughs> If you could just rope off that area and then just take South Florida, you're like, all right, that Miami job's golden. The problem being that everybody's infiltrated South Florida, even my alma mater, Indiana, recruits in the Tampa area extremely well. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, it's kind of open season. But it, it is fascinating to kind of look at that and the way that that breaks down. On a, a different note, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Do you care more about your actual bets or your public picks? Public, for sure, because I mean, <laughs> that's what people see. I mean, pe- people don't people don't see what, what I mean, what I what you bet, uh, whether it's in a live fashion or the non college football stuff, uh, and, and that's fine. But the the public college football picks are what what what, what my record is, and that's what people see. And it it sucks when when you have a bad year like, like I'm having right now because people just oh, you're a loser, you suck, how do you have the job, you should be fired. And and, and they forget the, the past years where you, where you have really good years, and certainly that's not the case this year. And, and, and then maybe it's not really even the record that I care about it and the, and, and the, and the Twitter like trolls that are out there. I care, I care about it because the public bets are the ones that people are paying attention to and, and probably following me and, and telling me and, and, and making bets, and, and they're losing as a result of me being incorrect, so that, that, that's what bothers me the most. And, uh, even a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I was like, hey, if you've been if you've been fading me, God bless you because you, you're having a, a an unbelievable year. So I guess as long as someone is being helped by my ineptitude this year, so be it. But yeah, the the, the public stuff is is what I hate because uh, there's certainly more people affected by that than than what what it would, what what I would be just playing a. Uh, uh, an alternate puck line on an NHL game or whatever on a Wednesday night. <laughs> I'll say this though, anybody that gives you crap about this, like people are losers because you have the best gambling tips of anybody in, in the college football space. When you drop those nuggets on a weekly basis, I don't even have wagers on these games and I find myself just wanting to consume that because it is great stuff. And if you're gonna do this for a living, you better know what you're talking about. And every single time you make a pick, you stand by it. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke or anything like that, but every time you throw that magnet up there, you got a reason for it. And I usually find myself talked into it. And very oftentimes I've been like, oh crap, this is my lock of the week. And Bear just went against it and he provided a better <laughs> reason for why it's gonna work. So. It Remind people of that. When any chance you get, I, I, I appreciate that because I, I think that's part of the like the push and pull. It's like I feel like my rationale and my reasoning uh, in, in methodology for a lot of these picks uh, is good. 
like, like, like I'm looking for certain angles in, in certain games and looking for, for matchups or looking for some of the off the field, maybe emotional or, or, or a sandwich or let down type situations. I, I feel like I'm kind of doing the same things that I've done uh, in, in recent years, but I'm just uh, haven't been on the right side of, uh, of 50, 50 games or my handicap has just kind of been proven to be incorrectly. I mean, I've had games where, you, you on the board, you have to take a two and a half point dog. Where in actuality, you can buy it up to three. And like Nebraska was absolutely the right side against Michigan earlier in the year. Had to have had them plus two and a half on the board. Bet them, but was able to buy them up to three in real life. Push with real life, lose on the board. So it's like uh, mm. th- those those games like that. It, it, that's a perfect situation of uh, being on the right or, or Indiana Michigan State. Uh, on the board, it's got to be four and a half. Uh, real life, buy it up to five. Push real life on the board, four and a half, lose. Even though Indiana was the right side, so like those are two games right there where you reverse those, reverse those results, and you're looking at a uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a different narrative out there. But uh, that's the uh, look. I, I get it. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna high profile situation and people people expect better but but i, I appreciate you because I, I love if nothing else i just i'm a researcher at heart so being able to like dig and look for for historical type stuff and and certain like angles and stuff whether you want to use it as handicapping information fine if not fine but 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 i love i love just kind of being out there and throwing information out there what you can provide also is is a slight tweak to a segment that that is good but can be even better the super dog segment and you've been told this before so i'm not the first person to say this but when someone picks like a three-point favorite to win it's like all right that's not a super dog we should be doing we should have a, a concrete rule if there's anybody that can make a change to that and say all right guys everybody's got to go double digit dogs otherwise it's not a super dog <laughs> have you advocated for that in the past uh, I I I I made it that it was an under that you had to take an underdog of more than a field goal because when we first started the people were like oh yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna take whatever I'm like they're a two point underdog like that's not like it, it's got to be at least more than a field it's got to be more than a one score game uh, in order for it to be an update and uh, I probably got a little too inside the inside the weeds and made it a little too complicated with trying to get different strata of, of upset worth but but but, but I, I think if you'll if you'll notice Kirk's upsets the last couple of weeks they've been they've been on board with a couple of the games that I um that, that I like uh and, and Kirk's fought along and, and I know David David was on Colorado last week just like I was so uh yeah yeah they, 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 they're they're quick learners <laughs> last one for you and I, I don't want you to burn any bridges here but honestly the best college game day atmosphere this season was what? Cincinnati. I mean, I I, I, and, and, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying that just just be, just because. Um, I've always said that our best shows are either somewhere where we've never been, or somewhere where we haven't been in in, in a long time. And, and I think that day was a great showcase for for, for Cincinnati to get out and. Uh, support their team and voice their uh, disapproval of the college football playoff rankings uh, that week. But but it, w- it was a great – you can't put a price on that type of promotion and advertisement uh, for, your pro- for, for your program. In Michigan State, the same way, uh, I guess it would have been the week before in East Lansing. 
uh, when, when you're, you're there. Like, like Mel Tucker can't put a price on that dollar amount uh, on the type of publicity that whether it's a little all-access piece throughout the week and and us being there, I mean, it's, it's a great environment. And uh, it, you know, I wish we would have been able to get to a couple of other first-time sites this year, but I think that Cincinnati crowd uh, and show was, was my favorite one uh, of, of the year so far. Too many cold weather places for you, though. We need to get you to. I know. Oh, oh, I know. Believe me, I'm still. I am still battling a cold from uh, from the East Lansing show. It turns out that that sitting outside uh, in 38, 40 degree weather for three hours with, with wind and a little bit of drizzle for for three that, that's that's not good for for one's health. So uh, there, there's my little PSA for the for the day. Don't sit outside for three hours in the in the cold and wind and mist. When's the next time you're getting to a beach? Oh, December the sixteenth. Uh, my wife and I we're going to uh, we're going to Turks and Caicos for the weekend. Did between the Heisman week and um, and Christmas. Just just a little, oh. just a little uh, go down go down Thursday, uh, come back Sunday night. Just a little quick little recharge. Get away from everything. Sit down by the pool on the beach for a couple of days and uh, and, and and get out of here. So yeah, uh, I, I bet you weren't expecting the answer to be. Uh, to be, to be December sixteenth, but but that that is uh, that is the next beach trip, and I can't we can't we can't wait. That's our that's our spot. We go there every year. Uh, we're actually we're going back in February as well for 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 a longer stay. But uh, it, it's just it's an easy flight for, for for from here in the north. It's a direct flight from for, from from JFK, and uh, the fare was cheap, and we got our place to stay that we always stay. So uh, it's. It's a great spot for those who have it. Uh, Grace Bay is just a fantastic beach for those who have never been there. Counting down the days. Love it. Absolutely love it. Bear, this has been great. Really, really appreciate the time. We'll do it again soon, man. Absolutely. Take care. I'll definitely do it again before the, uh, before the platform is going here. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry. I must have missed that one. All right, we have Bold and Brash, but I wanted to do a little update from our figuring out Rec League Sports. Got some comments about the shooting story after the flag football game um, that just sounded banana. Sounded like it was something just straight out of Reddit that would go super, super viral. James Spivey provided an update. So I wanted to read that to the people. Um, James said, so I guess it's story time. The shooting happened after a very chippy game between our teams. The team we were playing against was always a problem, especially if they lost, you think? Hmm. Lots of banter back and forth between our players and theirs the whole game. It ended up being sort of a blowout, a sort of a blowout by our team. So needless to say, the other team was heated. More words were exchanged after the game. The QB from the other team went to his car and got his pistol came back and shot one of our guys that had intercepted a pass and returned it for a touchdown to pretty much seal the game. Not many teams from Mobile were invited after that incident happened. Definitely not that team. I would say that's a good thing to get you kicked out of the league. If there's a line, a, a list of things one can do to not be welcomed back, I would say shooting an opposing player is high up there. That's so far high up on the list that you don't even think to put it on the list. Right. You know what I mean? You're just like, you're going through all the basic things of like, 
hey, you know, you're not allowed to like push a ref. You're not allowed to, you know, flip the bird to an opposing team or something like that. Like you're not allowed to, to heckle in a certain way. Shooting another player is never the thought of, I need to include this on the list of, uh, the list of rules that you just simply can't, you can't do these things in flag football games. But we learn new, new things every day. I wonder if that got added to the rules afterwards. Yeah, I feel like we need like a 30 for 30 treatment on this and like all the moments leading up to this moment. But at the same time, the moment I want to see is like when the league or whoever was in charge reached out to this team, it was like, so you shot a guy. And there had to be some form of conversation. Like, I, I'm sure the team was like, hey, we're good, buddy. Like, I'm sure they weren't trying to plead their case of why they needed to still be in this league. But I'm sure it was like, hey, man, so you shot a guy. What next? Like, where do we where do we go from here? That is ridiculous, man. I'm glad everybody got out of that. Uh, not unscathed because somebody got shot, but alive. And then if you're the guy who did the shooting, do you then try and plead your case to the league commissioner and say, well, the guy had a pick six in this game. So I think I was kind of within my rights. I'm, I'm going to guess that that argument didn't, didn't go anywhere. And as you said, thankfully, it sounds like everybody was, was okay. But wanted to provide an update on that situation. Thank you, James, for, for giving the people the update that, that we needed. Very, very different notes. Bold and brash time. It is rivalry week, so this should be extra bold, extra brash. Let's start with this one from Jeremy Graves. By the way, this is Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. If you have not joined it, you totally should. Jeremy says, bold prediction. No one sportsmanlike penalties in the Egg Bowl. That might be the boldest we've had yet. Yep. A good, clean Egg Bowl with some, some, some sportsmanship. Oh, no. Is that the Egg Bowl we want? No. Oh, Let's certainly not. No. We want coaches throwing things at each other and yelling expletives. I'll say it. Maybe it's not in the best interest of the public, but it's in the best interest of me, the viewer. I'm a little disappointed if, if that hits. I mean, congratulations would be a great prediction, but we this, this rivalry is at its best when just... Each, both teams are disrespecting each other. I mean, let, let us not forget 2018, the way that this rivalry started with Matt Corral taking swings in the end zone. <laughs> and pretty soon we realized, oh, Matt Corral is cut from a different cloth and he is not your typical quarterback. Don't think Matt Corral throws a punch in this game, but never say never. You never, hey, again, Just, they can't kick him out. Remember that, this is his last SEC game. Good point, Drew Page. Drew says, Georgia Tech finds a way to score 17 on Georgia. Um, on the first stringers, no, definitely not. Second stringers, probably, no, no, can't say that. Maybe, maybe Georgia Tech gets there, but gets there with a non-offensive touchdown, and all of that happens against the third stringers. It could happen. Don't want to rule that out. Isn't that crazy that we've gotten to this point yet? Or that we're at this point now where scoring 17 points against the Georgia defense is considered bold. And I'm talking myself into ways that, that it could happen. I need to talk myself into ways that it could happen. Probably not going to happen, though. Michael Dark. He says, the Egg Bowl is a low-scoring affair with tons of field goals. A fitting way to end a Thanksgiving that starts with Lions-Bears. Man, why did you woke, wake up and choose violence today, Michael? You know, it's bad enough that I've got to watch this Bears team. It's even worse that I can't even watch Justin Fields and get excited about the future. 
it's even worse, worse that apparently Matt Nagy is going to be asked to step down after this game and they're just going to make him the lame duck coach for this one and they're going to try and see if they can get some coach-o rah-rah moment. Hmm. That was mean though. I didn't need that. If that happens, I, I, I'll, I'll be disappointed in the Egg Bowl. I, I would be because we need, we need points in the Egg Bowl. That's another thing. We need unsportsmanlike penalties and we need points. You're going to be like an old boy with the NFL-branded hat sitting there just waiting for the Egg Bowl after the Bears game. You're just going to be sitting there. It's going to end, and you're just going to be like, college football. Like, you're just going to be waiting for some type of action to happen after that. Not cheering for a team, just the concept. You know, it's it's actually like kind of fun to watch the Bears without expectations on Thanksgiving and to watch that game against the Lions because usually it's just like, it's crappy football. You kind of take it for what it is. But in a year, like, like I got to watch Andy Dalton on my TV. Come on. That's... Mm-hmm. That's just mean. I had to watch Chase Daniel a couple years ago. Why? Why? Why do we? My the franchise that I care about has to put that product out there to the world. This this year was supposed to be different. It's just not. All right, nobody cares about my Bears takes. Let's go on to Emery. Emery says, Florida State wins, leaving Florida without a bowl. All right, semi bold. LSU makes it a game instead of rolling over. All right. Arkansas trounces Mizzou getting in the top 20 for a bowl game. Okay, Emery, none of those things individually that bold, but I like what you did here because in the gambling world, this would be a nice little parlay. This would be a pretty favorable parlay, and I don't hate this at all. I think, based on what I told you, I agree with two of those things. I don't think Arkansas necessarily trounces Mizzou, but I think even if Arkansas wins, it would get in the top 25 for a bowl game. So it's kind of like a four-part parlay there, and I'm on board for like three of them. Mm-hmm. Will, could you see all four of those things happening? Listen, I think LSU's rolling over. So I, but see, like you said, <laughs> this, this is a this is a good like bold take parlay because all these could hit, and then that in itself would be like a bold yes. take. I like that. Like plus 250? No, it'd be more than that. It'd probably be more than that. It'd probably be what, like plus, plus 400. So like you get four to one on your money, probably something like that hit, mm-hmm. I would think. Cause most, a lot of those things are kind of coin flips anyway. So yeah, I would have to, I'm not good at handicapping. But anyways, I like that. Hunter Raglan, this is pretty bold. Auburn fires both coordinators Sunday. Man, well, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we're talking about how great these coordinator hires were. Mm-hmm. Brian Harson, wow, what a job he did to hire Mike Bobo from South Carolina. Wow, what a job he did going and getting Derek Mason. We threw the Derek Mason to Arizona State narrative into the air. I don't think he fires both. Does he fire one? It depends with Bobo. If you get shut out by Bama and it's bad, like real bad in front of your home fans, I could see him being one and done. I can see that. That's a nice little way to take the heat off yourself after you lose four in a row to end the regular season. Here I was not that long ago saying my biggest miss in the preseason was saying that Auburn was going to go five and seven, and they're an Alabama loss away from being six and six. Yeah, that's crazy. I still think Derek Mason has put together a pretty nice year. I'd be more frustrated with Bobo than I would be probably with Mason. And I know some some fans would disagree with that. But it's tough when, it's tough when you, you blow leads like that in two consecutive games and then you're just bracing for the worst in your rivalry game and you know it's going to be bad. But does he fire one? Yeah, 
it, it could happen. It could happen based on the way that things play out in the Iron Bowl. Yeah, the Auburn thing is one of those things where so many people were kind of out on the hire whenever it happened of Harson that they're now trying to retroactively make themselves like look smarter than they were. And and I think that, like you said, I mean, I think he's done a fine job as a year one coach. I think he's done great. You know, off the field stuff aside, like what's happened on the field, they were in a lot of these games that we didn't see them being in. Like we talked about the old Miss game was obviously the, the feather in that helmet or in the you know, hat. And I mean, <laughs> there you go. Better than a helmet wouldn't work at all, actually. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I, uh, point being, I, I don't think either of these guys get fired. I, I, again, our expectation was this team was going to be horrible. And mind you, Bo Nix getting hurt matters. I, like, I don't care. Like, Bo yeah, Nix, yeah. Bo Nix was, like, good this year. Like, uh, far and away, Bo, this was easily, I think, Bo Nix's best season. They were able to solve this whole Bo Nix conundrum to a degree. You know what I'm saying? He's never going to be, you know, some legend. He's not Peyton Manning, but he was serviceable. And, yeah, I mean, losing him, obviously, is kind of what sunk their season a little bit. They obviously beat South Carolina with him, I think. And so, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, yeah, you can't, like, I don't think this is, like, fire coordinators thing, because I think Harson was a long-term hire anyway. I think no one expected him to be good in year one. So, I don't think you push the panic button now. There have been some rumors about Brian Harson to Washington. Our guy John Talty threw it out on social media that he has heard that that is not the interest of the Harson camp at all. So we might see a little bit more of that. Washington's a really good job, but I'd be surprised if that were the move. But it's an interesting question to get into with the entire SEC. We've seen two coaches get fired before um, you know Black Sunday, whatever you want to call it. And so those coaching staffs, we, we assume, will be on the way out. Who knows who will be retained if Durante Jones is able to stay down at LSU. But across the SEC, some of these coordinators who are kind of on the hot seat might have saved their jobs. Steve Wilkes being one of them. Mm-hmm. Marcus Satterfield, the South Carolina offensive coordinator, being another. Where you kind of look around the league and you're like, is it possible that everybody's going to run it back with their coordinators? Sorry, Bama fans. Pete Golding's not going to be fired on Sunday, that's not gonna happen. Bill O'Brien, not gonna be fired on Sunday. Bama's still trying to do some bigger things this year. But what does that look like across the SEC? And I'm struggling to come up with this off the top of my head because I don't think Arkansas makes a change. Georgia's definitely not making a change. Like who would realistically, Tim Banks has been really good year one with Tennessee. Like I'm kind of looking at the landscape of the league and I'm thinking, man, Everybody might actually feel pretty good about their coordinators where we came into last year with 10 of 14 SEC teams either had a new offensive coordinator or a new quarterback. And so this year, that's going to be way different. We're going to get a lot of these coordinators coming back and there's going to be a lot of offseason momentum for these programs just based on that continuity alone. It would be very un-SEC-like to have zero coordinators fired on Sunday. But it's just something to keep in mind that I just thought of as this question came up. Listen, uh, Jake Peets is going to be out tomorrow if, if I had my way. I don't think Jake Yeah, Peets, that's different. I don't think Jake Peets could do your job. I don't know if Jake Peets could do my job. I, he's going to be making memes with me next week. <laughs> Buddy, if Jake Peets can do my job, where, where are we at? What have, I, what have I been doing for the past five I, years on this I don't think it's a stretch to say you know more football than Jake Peets. Just, I think if I gave you some play sheets, I think you could do better than horrible. I, I'll give it to you, Connor. I'd run a lot of RPO slants. Right. I'd be all about that. RPO slants and wheel routes. That's that. That's my MO. Nothing other than that. The occasional flea flicker. You got to throw that in there, got of it. course. But Chris Polk says, Vols hang 50 on the doors. South Carolina upsets, you put that in air quotes, Clemson. That'd be an upset. Double-digit dog. Mm-hmm. And Arkansas shuts out Mizzou. Ooh. I don't think this Arkansas defense is built to pitch a shutout. Mm-hmm. I think they can give Connor Bazelak some problems. 
keeping Tyler Beatty out of the end zone, good luck, man. <laughs> that dude just kind of finds a way. If Tennessee hangs 50 on Vandy, it's already telling that that spread is where it's at. And I know I said earlier in the pod that I think Vandy is able to cover for the fourth consecutive game. But if Vandy puts 50 on a Vandy defense, or if, if Tennessee puts 50 rather on a Vandy defense that's kind of figuring some things out, that'd be a really good sign. I know we don't take any sort of stock in what you do against Vandy, but like, trust me when I say that team is actually still playing pretty hard right now and they're flying to the football. Scoring 50, putting a 50 burger up on them would be pretty impressive. That's that's a parlay. Those odds are <laughs> way more than 400 or plus 450. Like, Let's think about that here. So I guess the most difficult one there might actually be Arkansas shutting out Mizzou. That might be the most difficult one. Yeah. That would be, we're talking probably 15 to one on your money. If those three things, Tennessee hangs 50 on Vandy, South Carolina upsets Clemson and Arkansas shuts out Mizzou. That's that's like 50 to one on your money probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe more than plus 15 or 15 to one on your money. Um, interesting though. This one, all-time name in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group here. I'm going to butcher your last name. Pop Dakajokamisa. Pop Dakajosamisa. Hopefully I got that right, Pop. But thank you for this. Cool. Pop just says, hope Auburn rolls over the tide. I know that's not bold and brash. I just wanted to read that name. (laughs) Anytime you get a Pop Dakajokamisa in in the podcast Facebook group, Sorry, you have to take it. Zach Woodhurst says, Mississippi State puts 45 on Ole Miss and Georgia beats the biggest, or gets the biggest lead over Georgia Tech we've ever had, which was 48, I believe. So make it 60. And also South Carolina upsets Clemson with a late special teams trickery. Ooh, little fake field goal jump pass from the holder. Little page out of Arkansas's playbook, maybe? Potentially, we'll see. Georgia, yes, it is 48, by the way. I looked that up earlier. I think it happened in 1943. Clean old-fashioned hate. Mm. Could very well uh, get in that direction, and that could get ugly. Could see that happening. I don't know that Mississippi State puts up 45 on Ole Miss just because I'm believing a little bit more in this Ole Miss defense. So I'll say that's a little bit difficult. And then, man, if South Carolina beats Clemson with some late special teams, some Beamer ball, Mm -hmm. buddy, Oh boy, the Beamer stock, it's going through the roof. I hope you bought low. Hope you bought low maybe after the Vandy game. That would have been a good place to buy, but man, that happens. There'll be a whole lot of happy people in Columbia. I absolutely love, like Georgia, like (laughs) Georgia fans are some class A haters and like no one appreciates that more than me. And the fact that they know (laughs) the largest lead their team has had in a rivalry game is so great. Like I love that so much. I aspire to be that level of hater that's like, hey, listen, as long as we get that 49, this is a, this is the mark. I don't know if that's, if the, if he might've misspoke there. That's definitely the largest win they've ever had. Okay. 48 to nothing. Okay. So. But maybe that is something that's on the table. Maybe that is their largest lead that they've ever had. I did not look that up. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to, I agree with you. I'm going to tell myself that he, he just knew the lead itself. That, that's the more petty stat than the largest win. It's just written on a bulletin board in his house. Like, got to get 48 this year, boys. Come on. Beat Tech by 50. David Carter, he says, South Carolina upsets Clemson 17 to 16. 
lot of people sipping the South Carolina Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Not exactly not exactly buying Clemson's chances this one in a, in a tough atmosphere. Eli Truon says, LSU wins and becomes bowl eligible. That is bowl. That is brash. LSU touchdown underdog in this one. Um, Will, do you, does it make you nervous when you see LSU? There's a lot of LSU love in, in this thread today. Does that make you a little bit more nervous? Again, win-win for me. Either, Good point. <laughs> either they win and get to play a bowl game, or they lose and I don't have to watch this team again. <laughs> this is I couldn't be less nervous going into this game because, mind you, last year was the game that I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then like they had that Kellen Mond slugfest, and I was like, what is? That was the flock game. That was the flock god game where he, you know. So I don't know. A and always a fun game to beat. There's how about this? One of the worst viewing experiences I've ever had at the SEC was that like eight overtime game. That was horrible. That was like a bottom five game I've ever experienced. Anything short of that in the AM rivalry has actually been awesome. So I, I enjoy this game. I don't know. Laura Doyle says Dabo definitely going to be on his BS crying and pouting Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Let's go. That's, that's something that America can root for is Dabo is going to be unhappy. Here's an interesting over-under. One Dabo um, unsportsmanlike penalty in this game. Ooh. Tension's high. Dabo maybe... Trying to play it up to the refs or something. Some holding call here and there. Poor old Clemson. Mm. Poor old Clemson. Their quarterback's got nine touchdowns in the ACC. Nobody believes in them. Yeah. Dabo's out here with a quarterback from, a five-star quarterback from California. And Shane Beamer's out here just rolling out St. Francis transfer. Not to, not to slander the great name of Jason Brown, friend mm-hmm. of the show. But I'm just saying, if, if you're Dabo and you're complaining in this one, uh, you should probably just still find a way to win. Um, Kevin Rushing, this is this is just Parlay City. That's all we've had on oh, this yeah. thread this week. Kevin Rushing has quite the parlay. He says Vols, LSU, South Carolina, Florida State, Ole Miss, and Arkansas all win. Okay, so going through there, LSU is upset, South Carolina is an upset. Technically, Florida State's an upset as well. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss also an upset. Slight dog. That parlay would be huge. Let us know if you hit on that ticket, if you're playing that one. Um, Charles R. Uh, Todaro Jr., another parlay. Vandy, LSU, Florida State, and Auburn all win. If Vandy wins as a five touchdown, uh, like four and a half touchdown dog, Clark Lee hype train has left the station. That somehow this Vandy game is always the one that creeps up on Tennessee fans. And it's like, every year they know it's coming and every year it finds a way to be like, uh, 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 I'm not gonna say like bad, but it's it's like they can have a great season, they can have a bad season, but this is the one game they're like, okay, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get right. And it's very rarely a get right game. I, I hate that for them. And it's one of those things too, where you say with rivalry week, all right, throw throw records out the window. It's hard to do that. It's really hard to do that with some of these matchups when you you definitely could picture a scenario in which you're just sitting down to, to flip on Vandy and Tennessee as one often does, and it's 21 to nothing because this is just what Josh Heupel does. Right. That's could very easily happen in this one. Vandy and Auburn both win. Oof. We got a wild Sunday pot happening <laughs> if, if that does come true. Benny Hanna. We'll close with this one. Benny Hanna. <laughs> Benny says, guys, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think this UGA football team has a pretty good shot at beating Georgia Tech this year. Benny, can't disagree with you. Think your team is uh, going to be in some pretty good shape this weekend. 
might be a little bit conservative. I could see a scenario in which it kind of is like, hey, when's Georgia going to put its foot on the gas? Maybe it's it's only 14 to nothing near the end of the first half. And you're kind of just like, all right, you know, now would be a nice time to score three touchdowns in a two-minute stretch and end the half on a high. You know, we've seen Georgia do that before. They're going to try and make sure that they get as much reps as possible for those backups. Georgia mm-hmm. wants to get those starters out of that football game. I know Nolan Smith dealing with a little bit of an injury right now. Hopefully going to get Jalen Carter back at full strength in this one. I know he was dealing with uh, he was dealing with the flu in the Tennessee game. So get out of that game healthy. That's all you're going to try and do. So maybe it stays a little bit close, but I, I agree with him there that I think Georgia beats Georgia Tech. Any Anything bold and brash from you, Will? Um, I know we... We haven't exactly done a good job keeping track of our predictions. I know we have been able to reward others for their bold and brash takes, but is there anything you're looking at with this slate and you're feeling like, oh, you know what? Double digit dog? Yeah, I don't care. Let's go for it. Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, we kind of talked about this, but I I think Arkansas really rolls in this one. Uh, Nothing really. I mean, see, this Mississippi State Ole Miss line feels so deceptive. You know what I'm saying? Um, That's more of my thing is like, as as you know, not bold as it sounds, I feel like the the favorites are going to play well in a couple of these games. Um, well, Mississippi State, I guess, is favored in this game. See, if that's an upset, that's my upset. Like, if Ole Miss winning is an upset, I I think that they're gonna, I think they're gonna have a great game on Saturday or on Thursday. I'm sorry, on Turkey Day yes. after they might be. You know, if the Bears are playing, they might be the best team playing. Uh, <laughs> that was just unnecessary. You said it's Bears Lions. Of course it's Bears Lions. Okay, bro. so it's a real conversation is all I'm saying. I didn't like where you went with that. Listen, I still, I still got to get you back for randomly slandering LSU with the last podcast without me. I know, and I could just do that without, without any sort of blowback. That, you know, I usually agree with you, man. Like I said, I'm 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 gonna I'm, I'm not gonna let LSU ruin my, my fun Thanksgiving weekend is all I'm gonna say. I hope everybody enjoys this weekend. I hope everybody has a great, great turkey day. Or if you like ham, you know what? If you like ham, I'm not going to judge you for that. Eat all the Hawaiian rolls. Travel safely. Hope everybody enjoys a full, full weekend of football. It's going to be an awesome, awesome rivalry. We cannot wait for it. Leave us a five-star review. Like, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever. Do that wherever you get your podcast. Just read SaturdayDownSouth.com. So much great content right now. With basketball season, it's coaching carousel season. We've got everything covered. So, so much great stuff on SaturdayDownSouth.com right now. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.